Here we go. Folks, this is your host Cameron Ivy of Privacy Please, and thank you so much for tuning in each and every week. If this is your first time, welcome to the show. Tell your friends about it if you like it. If you don't, let's just pretend you didn't listen to it. Thanks again for coming in, and we hope you enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host Cameron Ivy, and with me, as always, Mr. Gabe Gums. Gabe, how you doing today? I'm well, sir. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. It's, uh, it's another great week and can't be any happier. Anyways, we have a wonderful guest on. Her name is Ellison Ann Williams. She is the CEO at Unveil. Ellison, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Well, why don't we just start things off very simple. Um, when our guests come on, we just want to know more about you. Tell us about yourself and, and where you came from and how you became the CEO of Unveil. Such a big question. <laughs> Open-ended, yeah. So I, again, Ellison Ann Williams, CEO and founder of Envale. So Envale is four years old as a company. And of course, we can talk about what we do in a little while. Before starting Envale, I spent about 12 years inside of the U.S. intelligence community and the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Laboratory. And then before that, I spent a good deal of time collecting degrees, <laughs> Did you, did you find them just littered about the Washington, D.C. area, or did you, uh, I assume you studied for those. Tell us about those degrees. I then. did. I had to study a little bit. They weren't just littered about. There, there was some work involved, yes. Yeah. So I am a pure mathematician by training, so PhD in pure math, master's in math, and a master's in computer science in machine learning before it was ever the cool thing to do. Nice. That's awesome. I want to talk a bit more about that as well, too. But first, so Unveil, what exactly does Unveil do? I love the name, too, by the way. Oh, very nice. So Unveil is a data security company, and we focus completely on securing data in use when it's being used or processed. So what does that mean? Why does it matter? So if you think about it, the way people will most often meaningfully use or process data to extract information, to extract insight for business purposes is by running some kind of a search or an analytic over it. So when we talk about securing the usage of data, what we mean is being concerned about the security posture and hence the privacy posture of that search or of that analytic as it's being performed. So for example, with our flagship product line, we can do things like take searches, take analytics, take machine learning models, encrypt them, and then go and run them anywhere our software is installed without ever decrypting them at any point during processing. So why does that matter? The ability to encrypt searches or analytics and run them without ever decrypting anything because it fundamentally changes the paradigm of where and how organizations can securely and privately leverage data assets. So this is a form of differential privacy then? No. Oh, so, good. Yeah. Where's that line? 
So if, if we talk a little bit from a technical perspective, so we solution around a category of technologies called privacy enhancing technologies. So privacy enhancing technologies are this category or family of technologies that preserve, enhance the privacy of data throughout its processing life cycle. So most often used to refer to the usage portion of data, three areas of data when it's being used, processed, when it's sitting on the file system at rest, when it's in transit moving through the network. Yes. So privacy enhancing technologies deal with the usage, secure and private usage of data. Now, there are several different technologies in that family. A pillar technology is called homomorphic encryption. Right. So we primarily solution around breakthroughs in homomorphic encryption. Other families, uh, other technologies in that family include things like SMPC, secure multi-party computation, uh, things like trusted execution environments or TEEs, and then differential privacy. So in reality, we actually solution everywhere from a technology perspective as a company, except for today, differential privacy. Thanks. All right. That is very helpful. We've had some folks on the show before to talk a bit of differential privacy, mm -hmm. and it is it is an area that is of, uh, I'd say, it's fairly significant concern to, to folks in the data privacy field these days, especially, again, to, to your point, data in use, being able to derive uh, financial value from information, from data to get information is, is certainly, I wouldn't even say it's on the rise. It's been with us for quite a long time. Some of us see those things represented in the real world, like, so Gabe bought this, so you might like that kind of thing. Um, and in, I'm willing to bet thousands of other ways we don't realize it is around us. So what are some of the problems that your, your customers come to you to solve? So securing the usage of data represents a new horizontal commercial market. So the journey of the company and the purpose of the company in its creation was really to build this new commercial market. So why is it a new commercial market? Because either where the technologies don't exist at all, or they don't exist in a practical capacity, which was the case with homomorphic encryption, which we can talk about in a little bit, nor does the commercial market. So when we had breakthroughs in the utilization of homomorphic encryption that allowed it to be computationally practical for the first time in about 35 years, then we had the opportunity to bring those to market and create this new commercial market and give it a name, securing the usage of data, solutioning around privacy-enhancing technologies. So where do we see the majority of our commercial engagement today? Really in two umbrella use cases. One is in enabling secure data sharing and collaboration. So this is between organizations or this is across different operating jurisdictions of a large multinational organization. These operating jurisdictions, of course, have varied privacy and regulatory requirements associated with them, data residency and localization requirements that must be respected while data is still utilized for business purposes and we allow them to do that. And then the second umbrella use cases that we see a lot of engagement around is enabling secure data monetization. So of course, uh, creating new revenue streams has never been more important than it is today. And so a lot of people are turning inwardly to their own data assets to see what kinds of products and services could we build and create on top of our own data assets in order to create these new revenue streams and really monetize that data both directly and indirectly. 
And then the big question becomes, well, how do we do that in such a way that respects the security and privacy of the underlying data itself, as well as the users of any monetization platform? And we uniquely provide a way for them to accomplish both of those requirements. So secure data sharing collaboration, secure data monetization. Uh, you heard me mention securing the usage of data is, is horizontal. So it spans various verticals. Most of our focus as a company to date has been in the vertical of financial services. So we do a ton of work in the use cases and financial services around anti-money laundering, financial crime, in particular, know your customer, customer due diligence types of use cases. That is fascinating. Very fascinating. Four years. That's a long place. That's a short period of time to get in four years, considering the the academic tale of this has existed, to your point, for a few decades. Was there something in particular that allowed it to kind of cross that chasm from purely academic into the commercial space? Was it was it just processing power? What 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 allowed for that? Algorithmic utilization. And we're a startup and we hustle. Right. right. So that's the definition of what we do. We make hustle things happen. We, we, we hustle it <laughs> to get it across the finish line. So homomorphic encryption, to answer your question, if we dive into that pillar of privacy enhancing technology. So homomorphic encryption is often considered to be the holy grail of crypto because it allows you to perform computations in the encrypted domain or in ciphertext space. Right. as if they're in the unencrypted world or in plain text space, right? And that translates into encrypting searches, machine learning models, analytics, and running them without ever decrypting anything. However, in order to get there, it is not straightforward. Homomorphic encryption does not automatically give you the ability to encrypt a search and run it anywhere. Homomorphic encryption gives you two primitives, very powerful primitives, but you only get two of them. The first primitive is the ability to multiply two encrypted values together, such that when you go decrypt that product, you get something meaningful on the other end. So for example, if I took the value of three and I encrypt it homomorphically, if I took the value of two and encrypt it homomorphically, and then I multiply those two things together, when I go decrypt it, I get the value of five. So it's as if I had added them in the plain text or unencrypted world. It is the only type of encryption that will give you that property. If you take any other type of crypto, AES-256, et cetera, and you encrypt three and you encrypt two and you multiply them together and you go decrypt it, you get absolute garbage. That's the power of homomorphic encryption. So you get the ability to multiply two things together in the encrypted domain, and then you get the ability to add two things together in the encrypted domain, such that, again, when you go decrypt that sum, you get something meaningful. So you get addition and multiplication, and that's it. So our IP as a company is how do you take those two primitives of multiplication and addition and build them efficiently into what you or I would know as an encrypted complex search or an encrypted machine learning model? And that is, like I said, not straightforward. It is very complex. And we are built on that intellectual property as a company. And of course, we're a software company. We build product. We sell licenses to software. So we take all of that algorithmic innovation that requires deep expertise in computer science, as well as in these mathematics of homomorphic encryption. And then we build that into enterprise-grade software product that then we deploy and we allow 
uh, these types of business functionalities to be possible that were never possible before. I data sharing in a secure and private way across different regulatory jurisdictions around the globe. Nice. So my inner hacker can't help myself. Uh, it's kind of how I got started in this space. So now that homomorphic encryption has made its way into the practical space, um, the attacks against it are, are also making its way. And although I, I have my suspicions that some of those attacks have been there in some communities that I don't have direct access to, um, namely some of the ones that you may have come out of. Uh, but my question is a bit more pointed. So things like chosen cipher attacks, have we seen any advancements in those against homomorphic encryption? Or is it that the application of, of homomorphic encryption hasn't quite risen to the level of being interesting to attackers, which is probably just a byproduct of it's a lot easier to go steal information that isn't encrypted still. Homomorphic encryption is very well studied. So there is an enormous body of literature and a very active research community around homomorphic encryption as a core. So from the homomorphic encryption standpoint, um, there are different types and they're built primarily on crypto systems and uh, foundational crypto components that are very, very well understood. Things yeah. like RSA keying or lattice-based crypto, which is, of course, believed to be, I'll say believed to be, if we want to be technically correct, <laughs> but, but I will tell you it is, right, uh, quantum resistant. Okay. So you've got those types of core systems that homomorphic encryption is leveraging and built off of. It's an it's extremely high degree of confidence around the technology itself. Now, I will say that um, our breakthroughs, as you heard before, are not relative to any specific type of homomorphic encryption. By definition, all types of homomorphic encryption are going to give you both or one of those primitives that I mentioned, multiplication right. and or addition. So because we're built off of leveraging those primitives, what that means is we will use any type of homomorphic encryption. So our crypto is in no way, shape or form proprietary. We'll use any type. We're very open and transparent about it. And we will even leverage very popular open source homomorphic encryption libraries if that's what the customer wants. Ah, okay. And I that's tell people, by the way, I will add, if you encounter a security company that's trying to sell you proprietary encryption, please just turn around and run in the yeah. other direction. It is a tremendously bad idea. You, you are spot on and, and has been one for long enough that I... I'm surprised that people are still even entertaining the idea. Um, why not? Why not just get some uh, some cipher and call it encryption while we're at it? Uh, I'll, I'll gladly sell them my rot uh, twenty four ciphers and call it encryption if they're in the market for that. Um, all right, I've, I've been hogging the airways. I see Cam is Cam is dying to jump in there on a couple questions. No, I'm good. I'm just I'm sitting back and learning. I'm curious about Vale a little bit. It's four years old. I would imagine that you've had some ups and downs. And then obviously this year has been the pandemic. What do you think has been the most challenging thing in, in those four years? And what are the positives that you've seen come out of that going into the future for the company? I think both the most challenging thing and the most positive thing are almost one and the same, different sides of the same coin, which is creating the new commercial market. So very few companies have the privilege and also great challenge of having the opportunity to create 
a new commercial market. The language used to describe it, to identify those pain points, those use cases, making new, entirely new things possible that people couldn't even dream of before. Huge, huge privilege, enormous challenge. We worked really hard over the last four years to create that market. And we are completely seeing that emerge and come into fruition today. And that has been extremely positive and extremely rewarding, not only for myself, but for every single member of the Unveil team. That's super exciting. So obviously this is a privacy please show and can't get away without asking this, but what, what does data privacy mean to you personally? And what does it mean to your company? So data privacy, in terms of the company, we focus on making sure that it's the, the privacy um, of the data is respected during that usage, usage portion of its life cycle. So if we go back to data security and even data uh, privacy, data only fundamentally has three states, which translate up into the security and privacy of that data. We talked about this a second ago. Mm-hmm. We talk about these three states as a triad. So the first one is securing or protecting data at rest. So from a security standpoint, that's going to include things like your encryption, your tokenization, Mm -hmm. your pseudonymization under something like GDPR, et cetera, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's also going to include things like audit, access control, data governance, and policy reinforcement, which is where you start to get privacy coming into play in terms of a technical control solutioning perspective. Then the second element is securing it and transit when it's moving through the network. And then finally, that usage piece. Well, what happens to it when it goes to be used or processed? So our perspective as a company, especially solution around privacy-enhancing technologies, is providing the ability to use that data in such a way that respects all of the privacy requirements that are in place for the organization. So how does that manifest from a product standpoint? It means that we're going to sit above the data at rest in the ecosystem, and we're going to respect and integrate with whatever the data governance mechanisms, privacy controls they already have in place uh, for that data. And then it's able to be enforced through the usage piece of it. And of course, the encryption makes sure that no private information is ever exposed during the search itself or in any results that may be generated from it. Awesome. Great answer. So tough one for you. If you only had $100 for budget on security and privacy, where would you start? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think (laughs) a a couple of different ways. Uh, One is free. Just uh, keep your software up to date. That's super easy. A lot of vulnerabilities happen because people just frankly don't update their software. So keep your software up to date. And the second one, if you only had $100, uh, what I would say broadly is get a password manager and use it. That's not something that anyone has answered before. And that is money well spent, um, even in your private life. If, yep. if that's all you're willing to spend on it. Absolutely. Yeah. And and don't make all your passwords the same as the master password and the password manager. I feel compelled to say that. <laughs> Yes, if, if we if we really need <laughs> to point that out, yes, correct. Yeah, Let your password manager generate your passwords for you. <laughs> Let them store the passwords for uh, you. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the important part of the password manager, not just using it to store the same password for all. Yes, if you can remember your password, a computer can easily break your password. It's true. 
That is very true. And that's why if you get an automated password, it's usually ridiculous. And you're like, mm-hmm. eh, I'm changing that to Johnny 485 or my kid's name or my dog's name. So you started this company. And now one of the reasons why we got connected with you was through one of our previous guests, Ron Gula. Um, and I'm actually curious to, to kind of know where that relationship came from or how did you meet him and how did that come about with, with Unveil? So Ron is, of course, pretty infamous here in the D.C. area startup community. So he was one of the first founders that took a company to you know its, its greatest heights in here in the D.C. area. The startup community is greatly blossoming here in this area uh, where it was traditionally out in the valley. That's certainly not the case anymore. So it's spreading all over the country in the uh, Austin, Texas area, in the D.C. area, in the New York area. And so Ron, of course, being here in the area, we um, took our seed investment from an entity called Data Tribe. We were actually the first investment for Data Tribe. And so Data Tribe was formed uh, by a very seasoned, well-known Silicon Valley uh, VC capitalist mm-hmm. and a Navy SEAL <laughs> to take teams and technologies that were coming out of the intelligence community and help them commercialize into product companies. So we were the first investment for Data Tribe, and Ron knew some of the founders at Data Tribe. So I got connected to him this way. That's really neat. Um, have you been to, so before in Vail, I don't know if you touched on this before in the beginning, but I would imagine that you've been to conferences and um, have you been a speaker at those? I know you've put out articles and stuff like that. Are you also a speaker as well? I do speak uh, on certain types of topics, um, sit on a lot of panels. Probably the uh, most notable speaking on behalf of the company was probably at the RSA Innovation Sandbox in terms of owning the stage there. So we were the youngest company ever to compete in the RSA Innovation Sandbox, and we ended up being one of the winners there. So you can certainly see that. Congratulations. That is, for me, every year, the one event I refuse to miss. It is, it is a, it's a great platform and forum for folks like yourself. So nice stuff. Um, is there one topic in particular, though, that you really lean into when someone's like, ah, Allison, you can talk about anything you want. You're like, I know what I want to talk about. Kind of. <laughs> got some religious fervor or bent on like this one topic that you must share with the world. What's that? I don't have one topic that I must share with the world. It, it depends on what hat you want me to wear. So with my Unveil founder CEO hat, I'm going to talk about the company because I really sure. believe in what we're doing. I believe we're going to build a market and we're really going to, like I said, fundamentally change the paradigm of, of how data is used and leveraged on a global scale. If you want me to speak as an entrepreneur, uh, I love that. I absolutely love what I do. I can't imagine doing anything else forever and ever. And I I am privileged and blessed to be able to do what I love every day. And does that mean it's always easy? Absolutely not. Right? I run a startup, but I love it. So I can talk to you as an entrepreneur a lot. Uh, And then, of course, um, women in tech. So if you haven't noticed, I am female. I am highly technical. (laughs) I'm a startup founder and CEO of a data security company. Um, And I also have oodles of kids. So in terms of talking to people about women and technology, talking about equal opportunities for women, uh, I love to talk about that as well. It makes you a bit of a unicorn in so many ways, doesn't it? (laughs) Which shouldn't be the case, but that's where we're at today. So 
let, let's hopefully touch on that won't be the case for my I'm daughter's generation. For it, quite frankly, I mean, look, I love Cam, but really, you know, it's face. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, of course. Um, but let's talk about that segment for for a bit, though. Uh, when when you talk about being an entrepreneur. I'm sure your your lens on this is different for all of the other reasons that you mentioned. Um, being a, an extremely well versed, well studied te- technical individual that also happens to be be a woman, how does that play into your approach to being an entrepreneur versus, say, you know, the person who's like, ah, I've got an idea, and then they just grind their way through that idea? I have always been an entrepreneur. So it depends on where people pick me up in my career that they want to put some kind of label on me. Oh, well, you're an intelligence community uh, professional, or you're a mathematician, or you're a computer scientist, or you are, you know, uh, a CEO. But as long as I can remember, when I dreamed of what I wanted to be as a little girl, it was this. It was starting and running my own company. I come from a long line of entrepreneurs. That's what was modeled for me. So that was always the dream. And of course, like anyone who goes and follows their dream, it is not a linear path. So there are many, many little detours and side roads, all of which end up making you uh, the person that you are and ultimately giving you the right skills to be able to achieve what your dream is. So my detours included uh, a PhD and a couple of master's degrees on the way. Uh, it included a stint inside of the U.S. intelligence community. And now I've, I'm finally ended up where I've always dreamed. Is where you always dreamed data security or is it cryptography or is it applied mathematics or all of the above? None of those. What I've always dreamed is being an entrepreneur. Ah, right. Of starting, right running things, yes. building something out of absolutely nothing. Yes. Creating. That's what I've always dreamed of. Oh, and by the way, I happen to be very, very good at all of those other things that you mentioned. <laughs> so why not? Yeah, yeah. I like it. Do you have uh, Do you have any words of advice for not only females, but uh, just any entrepreneur that are younger out there that might have that same type of question for themselves or they have that same drive, any word of advice for them that you could give if there was one thing you could say? I would say, number one, make sure that you do this because you love it. Because it's a labor of love. I do not think it would be sustainable to do it for any other reason than you absolutely love it. Because as a founder and CEO, you will hear no more than you hear yes. You will be kicked in the head more than you will be applauded. And so you have to do it because you love it. So that's one. So examine, make sure that's why you're doing it. And then uh, the second is find a mentor. (laughs) So you don't have to learn everything the hard way. You can find people that have walked this path before you to ask questions, to give you advice, to give you guidance, and to tell you that you're doing something that's absolutely ridiculous. Why are you doing that? That's stupid. You want people to be very blunt and very upfront with you. That's great. For the love, not the likes. You yeah. heard it here, folks. Um, and I can't stress the following, the, the second half of that nearly enough. You you absolutely need it. I, I don't really particularly have a, it doesn't matter what you do. You, you really should have a mentor to help guide you through those things. Um, safe to say that you, you probably provide some mentorship in different forms to, to folks. 
I do. Yes. I'm always happy to help people if they reach out for sure. And what do you find most rewarding about that? The most rewarding thing to me about helping other people is, is tangibly seeing them realize their potential. Mm. The saddest thing in the world is unrealized potential. Yeah. Like when that light bulb comes on for them. Correct. Or something that I said in a 30 minute conversation, even if it's only one thing that causes a light bulb to go off that they can take away and get closer to realizing their potential, then it's worth it. That's special. I mean, that's just so powerful. I think that kind of skips over one of my questions about the proudest moment. I would imagine having your own company would be your proudest moment in your career. Well, I mean, careful. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, sorry. So so many, many, many proud moments uh, for sure throughout my entire career because I've had um, very different and differing experiences throughout my career. But I will tell you, one of my proudest moments uh, as a person is when my daughter, who is 13 years old, came in to visit our office. And at the end of 2019, we said, well, you know, we should really write down our first principles as a company because they're they're a very defined set of principles by which we make decisions and we work through things and decide what are we going to do? And we should just write them down. So it wasn't that it was aspirational at the start of the company, you know, we're going to be transparent. We're going to put people first and those types of things. It was, okay, how have we been behaving for the last three years Let's capture that and write it down. So we did that. We wrote it down. uh, And then I had them framed on our wall. And she walked in one day and she looked at them and she said, oh, yeah, mom, that sounds like our house. Because as from the perspective of a child, for them to attest to that kind of integrity, to me, was one of the proudest moments. Because it means that who I am, no matter where I go. Yeah, authenticity. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Something we value around here also. We, we too have written down uh, exactly those values and authenticity is at the top of that list as well too. I, I find it necessary in all the things you do. If, if, you're, if you're not, I find it's a massive distraction that keeps you from focusing on things that matter. So that's awesome to hear. That's, I, I, that must have been very proud on multiple levels to see kind of the, the home world and the work world and uh, – and that in so many ways that those things carry through. So great. Yeah, that's, I don't know. I just, I thank you for saying that because I think it's super special uh, that I've learned over the years is <clears throat> just be yourself and do something that you enjoy, not for the money, not for anything else, not for anybody else. Just do it for yourself and for your family. If you have a family. Not turning down checks though. Just so <laughs> Sure. To get there, though, they're building blocks. Um, so let's let's move on to our last segment. It's our fun segment. So, listen, this is where we. You mean this hasn't been fun? Oh well, oh, you got me. All right. Well, I guess oh, that's Cameron. it. Cameron. <laughs> what I mean by the fun segment is, you know, we try to be a little different from other security podcasts, and we we get a little more private. We we just have a little more facetious fun if I may put it that way. So I'm going to ask you some questions and we'll just get to learn a little bit more about Ellison. Um, So the first one is what is your most used emoji? 
Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Just the, you know, sometimes I always take it like you ever gotten it from somebody and you're like, was that rude? Like, were they just trying to be like, you know, especially on LinkedIn because it's a big one. But um, a little too big yeah. on LinkedIn. Like, what, it is a little what too big. Needs to fix that. <laughs> it, it's an acknowledgement for me. It's I heard you. I acknowledge you. We're yeah. good. That's fair. Sometimes I get a little too emotional when it comes to texting. I think that's everybody's problem. Sometimes you read into it too much. What is, I love this question. So pandemic or a zombie apocalypse, but you have three celebrities dead or alive that you can choose for to be on your team. Who are you going to, who are you going to choose to be, you know, stacked up with you to defend the world? Why in the world would I choose a celebrity? (laughs) (laughs) That's the right answer, by the way. That's, that's the right answer. (laughs) That's a good answer. No. All right. So, so dead or alive, anyone you want to choose in the world doesn't have to be a celebrity. Three. Oh, I would, well, I would choose my family. There you go. That's why I usually ask celebrity because family is always going to be the, the choice. I mean, no, it's not always the choice. If you're going to defend the world, <laughs> your family is not always the best uh, group of people to help you defend the world. In my case, it is. So one this minor is not a gratuitous problem. gesture. It's <laughs> one small problem, though. You, you have, by my account, no less than six members of your immediate familial unit. And Cam only gave you three slots to fill. That's true. <laughs> Well, some of the younger kids aren't going to be much help. They can sit it out. Hey. <laughs> That's double-edged sword there. Uh, what's your biggest pet peeve? When people are inconsiderate. Mm. Yeah. It's fair. Yeah. What did you name your first car? I've never named a car. Who named cars? <laughs> I don't. People do it. People do do no, They I name don't. their boats. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, if you have yeah. money to, to waste on a boat, I guess you can have time to waste of naming it. No. <laughs> I don't have time to name things that I drive. They need to get me from point A to point B and beyond that. I don't really care. Fair. Um, what's a secret uh, talent that you have that nobody really knows about? Hmm. Well, I think most people know about my talents, at least uh, that I associate with. I would say that most people broadly don't know that uh, I'm such an awesome baker and a major foodie. And my first business ever was a cake business in high school. I sold cakes for people. They loved them. It's great. And then I actually worked uh, in grad school on the side a little bit as an assistant pastry chef in a bakery. Right. How, how do we feel about like cake in a jar? Is that good or bad? Like, where, where's that fall? Yeah, on the continuum of no way would I ever make or sell that. Does to, it taste good? I don't know. I've never touched it honestly. Okay. Well, if it tastes good, then I'm going to give it uh, my emoji thumbs up. And it got the thumbs up. Bad. Yeah. And why in the world would you eat something that tastes good? <laughs> jar, no jar, plate, whatever. As long as it tastes good, right? <laughs> If you were a professional wrestler, what would what would your entrance song be? <laughs> a professional wrestler, my interest uh, entrance song. Hmm. I don't know. It's a tough one, right? I don't know. Probably some kind of Led Zeppelin. Led Zeppelin, okay, nice. Yeah. If you could bring back any fashion, what would you? What would it be, and what would you rock? 
You were asking the wrong person my question. <laughs> I don't. I, I, I give about two seconds of thought on a daily basis to fashion. In fact, one of the running jokes for people that know me is I always have on a white shirt and black pants. I'm also colorblind. Not many people know that about me. Back to okay. your previous question. So maybe that plays into it in some way. Interesting. Now, is it kind of like that approach that do you have like a closet and it's just all white shirts, all black pants? It's just simple. You don't have to think about it. Yep. Because you have other things important to figure. Correct. Thinking about what I wear for more than two seconds is a waste of mental energy, in my humble opinion. There's a whole industry, by the way, would completely disagree with me on that. I mean, I would completely disagree with you, but that's a different person. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, two more for you. Uh, what is an app that you use, but you dislike? Mm. Mm. That's a good question. Uh, probably Google Maps. Yeah. I only sorry, use it sorry, for, Google. yeah, I only use it for like when I'm searching for restaurants in the area, but I use Waze for mapping. Plus Waze is pretty cool. They let you change your vehicle to the Batmobile recently. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. <laughs> or you can be the Joker, Joker mobile, whatever it is. So that's a win. Last one here. This is a pretty serious question on, on privacy, please. And Gabe and I are pretty big on it. So this is where we get a little personal, but uh, for your toilet paper, is it, are you a over or under person? Is there toilet paper? When it comes to putting it on the roll. Then I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> I know everything I need to know about your household now. And there we go. The judges will also accept that answer. <laughs> <laughs> that works too. <laughs> Perfect. Well, um, Ellison, thank you so much for your time. And thank you for, you know, being open with us and just being here. It really means a lot to me. Um, and <clears throat> I'm always loving to, to learn from so many people like yourself and uh, very encouraging. So thank you so much for what you do because data privacy and security is ex extremely important. So that's why we have this podcast. So thank you, Gabe. I am absolutely pleased that you were on. This was fascinating. Uh, your, your background's fascinating. The stuff you're working on is fascinating. I, I could spend another hour just talking to you. Uh, and I'm sure others that are listening are going to be interested in how they too can talk to you. So we'll put some stuff in the show notes. But uh, where can they find you? Social media, LinkedIn? Where, where exactly can we go to find more? You can go to the Unveil website always. So unveil.com. You can find me on LinkedIn. You can find me on Twitter. Awesome. awesome. You know what your Twitter handle is off the top of your head? No. <laughs> <laughs> there are not many Ellison and Williams on any platform. Very so good. It me. will be easy yeah. enough to find you then. We will we will go find that uh, that handle. We will make sure we post it in the show notes on your behalf as well. You can tell I'm a power Twitter user, can't you? There you go. <laughs> Very good. All right. Well, thanks, Cameron. Thanks, Gabe. Appreciate it. Thanks, Allison. Cheers. I just wanted to thank all of you out there for tuning in each and every week and to all of our amazing guests for coming on. I know that there are millions of other shows and it means the world to have you with us on this journey. We are so grateful that you choose to listen to us each and every week. If you like the show, tell a friend, have them tell their friends and then make maybe make some new friends along the way. Uh, so we can continue to spread the word and keep learning together. Let's protect what matters most. And by the way, DJ, can you go ahead and drop that outro beat and keep it classy? We'll see y'all next week. <laughs>